I'd like to speak to you if the Lord would bless. Brother Mark mentioned in his prayer the sufficiency of God's grace. And I'd like to talk about God's amazing grace this morning. When I had a great weekend, or the a couple, last couple of days was in uh, Tyler, Texas, my dear friends down there, and they had a, uh, a meeting for the young folks, and it was a great blessing, and it was, there were some added blessings that were there. The minister that was preaching the gospel when I came forward to ask for a home in the church was there, he Elder Sonny Piles. He's very frail in body, but uh, sharp in mind had great opportunity to fellowship with him, enjoyed his preaching. He preached and did really, really well, and that was a great blessing. Also had the blessing of being with uh, Barbara, used to be Barbara Taylor. She's married to uh, Joey Lowrance, the son of Sonny Lowrance. And Barbara was telling her children, she said, this is the minister that baptized me. And Barbara was the first one that I baptized when she was 10 years old. We were, I don't know who was the most nervous. We went to the kitchen, to the dining room, and we practiced baptizing for uh, probably 15 minutes before we actually did the, the baptism. She said, I'm, can you still remember that? And I said, oh, absolutely. I'm just thankful that I'm still around to remember it. It's been a long time ago. But I thought about the blessing that the church and the doctrine and the Lord's people have been to me for 44 years. And when I first discovered the church, I fell in love with the fellowship and with the people. And I enjoyed very much the hymn singing. Didn't know the songs, not many of them. 15 years of age. Enjoyed the preaching, but it was when I first understood the doctrine of grace that that sealed it for me. Once I understood grace, David Piles was there, able minister, the son of Sonny Piles. My mind traveled back to when he, as a young student at Texas Tech, took me aside and shared some of the scriptures that enlighten us about God's grace. And I can remember that it was for me, everybody's different, but for me, it was like taking a light switch and flipping it on. All of a sudden, I saw the scriptures differently. God's grace. What little bit of church I'd been exposed to, what little bit of television preaching I'd been exposed to, all that I'd ever heard is that God's grace was good up to a point and that God's grace was an offer and that I had to participate in order to receive God's grace or seal the deal with God's grace. That God's grace was available to me if I would but reach out for God's grace. And when I found out that the scriptures teach that I don't have the ability to reach up for God's grace, 
that I don't reach up for God, but he reaches down for me. And when he finds me, he doesn't find me in a righteous, holy state. But he finds me in my sin and he goes after me. And he does it because he loves us. He doesn't do it because he looks down the road and foresees any good in us. He doesn't do it because of looking down the road and see that we will pursue him. In fact, when we look at God's amazing grace, it's when we're going away from the Lord. Grace, one definition of grace, is God's free and unmerited favor as manifested in the salvation of his people. But Brother Mark prayed, thanking God for his grace, not only in the salvation of our souls, but he was thanking God for his grace today. And so God's grace is not only sufficient to save us, but God's grace is sufficient to sustain us as well. It's God's free and unmerited favor upon us. Basically, he's saying right here, we don't deserve it. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be works. But we don't deserve it. When I saw that, And I realized that if I'm saved at all and I have a home in glory, it's not because of me, but it's in spite of me. And it's because of the Lord and because of what he did solely and completely. So let's go through and look at some Old Testament examples of grace, of God manifesting his favor toward his people. Either through salvation or through bestowing blessings upon us as we journey here in this life. God's grace is manifest in both ways. So let's go over to Genesis. It tells us in Genesis chapter 6 that God was upset with man. God was upset with the world. God was upset with the sin in the world. I have to ponder, I have to wonder how upset God might be today when we look at the sinfulness that's around. Brother David Piles preached a wonderful sermon and he he taught some great lessons this, this weekend. And it was to a group of 200 plus young people. It was a great blessing. But he told them, and I had not considered it this way, he told the young folks, he said, did you know you're living in the greatest time ever? He said, I would not trade the time that I'm living in with any other age. He said, and I'll tell you why. He said, I believe based on the conditions around us and the prophecy in the scriptures that the times that we're living in are the last days. And he said, I want you to wake up in the morning and start looking for and anticipating the return of the Lord. And I want you to start thinking when you go to bed at night that the Lord just might come before I get up in the morning. And he said, if you start looking for the return of the Lord, 
It's going to affect how you live here in this life. It's going to encourage you. It's going to help you. But he said, did you realize that the greatest event of all time since the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ could very likely happen in our lifetime? That we might be living when the Lord comes back to take us home. What a wonderful experience that would be. That would be a good experience for us, whether we're in the grave or whether we're alive. But wouldn't it be great if, if, if he came back today? I mean, that'd just be so awesome. It really would be. And he said, I wouldn't trade the age that I'm living in, the era that I'm living in, for any other era. Because he says, I feel like, based on the signs of the times, that the return of the Lord may be soon. Well, here it tells us in in, uh, Genesis chapter 6, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, talking about man, was only evil continually. And it says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, and this is, I really believe this story that it actually happened. We have the evidence that it did through the rainbow that we see uh, when when the clouds come forth and the Lord has placed in the sky the, the rainbow. It says, and the Lord said, The Lord said, I will destroy man upon whom I've created the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things and fowls of the air. And he says, it repenteth me that I have made them. Now, God's not sorry for anything, but God saw the wickedness of man. He saw the stench of sin and it grieved God to look down upon what he had created and how man had defiled it. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of uh, of compassion. But God is also a God of justice. And God hates sin. We sometimes in our mind try to justify it by dressing it up or excusing it. Or minimizing it. But God hate sin. We would do well to hate sin like God hates sin. Sometimes in our own lives we see it, we're grieved by it, and we abhor it. But I doubt that we realize it not even close to the extent that God does. You know, a lot of times it's so amazing we can see the sins of other folks real clearly. But it's our own sins that we miss. And did you know that We're supposed to be looking not at the sins of others. We're supposed to be trying to help others. We're supposed to be trying to encourage others. But we're supposed to be examining, as it says, ourself. Brother Sonny Powell said, uh, he said, I don't go around analyzing and looking at the lives of other people. He says, one reason I don't do it is because I don't want them analyzing my life. Well, we're to be analyzing our own lives. We're to be examining our own life. Let's look what he says right here. God was just. First of all, God didn't have to create the earth. 
God didn't have to put man upon the earth. God didn't have to suffer long with man on the earth. But God did. And so when God decided that he was going to destroy man upon the face of the earth, God was fully justified in doing that. God had had mercy to allow man to be there to the extent that he had. And by the way, God's having mercy upon us today. He sure is. It comes on down and it says right here that God in his mind was, was, was going to destroy man off of the face of the earth because of the sinfulness of the, of the defiling that man had put upon the earth. And it says, but... Did you know that that describes all of us right here? When you see the word, but something else is about to happen. In spite of yourself, in spite of where you are, in spite of where you're going, but God. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah wasn't deserving. Noah wasn't worthy. Noah didn't earn the grace of God, but God had mercy upon Noah. And it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He, you can go on down and it says um, uh, that, that uh, it describes Noah building the ark and, and bringing the animals in the ark and how that God spared the family of Noah and, and the, the animals that were in the ark. And then God began to replenish the earth again. Uh, through this, but Noah didn't really deserve to be spared. And we don't deserve to be spared. The only reason that we are is because of God's amazing grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Lord got upset again. Genesis chapter 19. I, I don't want to focus on the Lord's being upset, but I want to focus on the Lord's mercy and his grace. In Genesis chapter 19, the Lord was upset again. He was upset with two wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord said in his mind, he said, should I tell Abraham he said, Abraham's going to direct his family. He's going to direct his children in the right way of the Lord. And he said, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do in destroying these two wicked cities? And he concludes to reveal to Abraham that he was going to destroy the two wicked cities. Abraham goes to the Lord and he talks to the Lord. And Abraham said, Lord, if there's but 50 righteous, would you spare the cities? The Lord said, Abraham, yes, I will. Then he said, how about if there's 40? Apparently, he couldn't find 50. So he went back and he said, if there's 40. And Abraham continues to go back and interact with the Lord. And he comes down and he said, how about 30? How about 20? And then he comes down and he said, Lord, if there's but 10 people that are righteous, would you spare the cities? And the Lord said he would. <laughs> Apparently there were not 10 righteous in the eyes of the Lord. 
And the judgment of the Lord was to rain down. But God bless Lot and his daughters. The angels were sent to Lot and his daughters and his sons-in-laws and his wife. And God blessed Lot to have a way of escape before the wrath of God came down upon the wicked cities. Lot found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Lot's wife found grace. His daughters found grace. But as his his wife was leaving the city, a lesson in this, as the exit was made and God had made a way of escape for them and the angels were directing them out of the city, the angels had instructed them by God's authority to not look back. Do you know there's a lesson in that? When God delivers us in our life, we don't need to go back and dig it up again. We don't need to dwell on our past, but we go forward. It says that when Lot's wife looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. So there's two Old Testament examples of God's grace. Neither deserved deliverance, but experienced it through the grace of God. The next one, we'll look at a couple of New Testament examples. New Testament examples. In Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, we come to the, and, and you can go through and read this in detail, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 23, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23, round verse 38, 39 in that area. Here we come to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is being crucified upon the cross. And there's two criminals, two thieves that are being crucified as well. It says that there's one on the left side and one on the right side. And in Luke's account, Luke gives us an account here that the others do not go into this great detail. But it's a great lesson an example of God's amazing grace. It says that Christ was, Christ was the only one that was just. Christ was the only one that was righteous and holy. The other two on either side were both equally guilty. And it says that one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. That means that one that was on one side railed on him and said, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Mm -hmm. So one of the malefactors said, if you really are the Christ, if you really have the power, then exercise that power and deliver yourself from this horrible crucifixion and deliver us as well. And the other individual, now keep in mind, They were both equally guilty. The only one that was guiltless, that didn't deserve to be there, was Jesus Christ. And here he says right here, the other one answered and rebuked the first one. The other one answered, Christ is in their midst. The other one answered and rebuked the other one. And he says, dost thou fear God? 
seeing that thou art in the same condemnation. He basically is saying right here, the second individual that's on the other side of the cross is basically saying right here, you need to be fearing God. He said, we should be fearing God. God is a God of justice. God is a God of holiness. And he says, we are receiving our just condemnation. We're getting exactly what we deserve. You see, one of the wonderful things about God's grace is that it keeps us from getting what we actually deserve. It does. He comes down and he says to the other individual, he says, dost thou? He says, dost thou fear God? I want to tell you, you know, I, I'm, I, 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 uh, I'm thankful for a godly mother. I'm thankful for the instruction of my father. And, and I, uh, I, I was obedient to my mother because uh, my mother early on exercised. It, it wasn't the rod. It was the belt in our case. And, and, uh, and it's very effective. I mean, it, 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 it was what I needed. My mother knew what I needed. And my father even knew more well what I needed. And so... Uh, it, 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 the, the scriptures say the rod. My parents interpreted that as the belt. And, 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 and they knew what I needed in that respect. I feared my mother and I feared my father. I feared, I, I feared with a righteous fear the folks that were in position of authority. I had a great respect for the principal at school, for the teacher at school. When I saw a law enforcement officer driving through the little town in which we live, I had a great respect for their authority. I had a, a fear of their authority. One time when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I did something that was that in my mother's eyes was really bad. In my eyes, I, it, I looked back and it was bad. And so my mother, who was friends with the police officer and my father, they had the police officer come and pick me up and give me a ride through the town. And he gave me a real hard talking to and it stuck with me. And I remembered. But my mother knew that I had a great respect and a fear for those that were in positions of authority. But I tell you what. We ought to have a fear of the Lord. I mean, I trust we serve the Lord for a lot of reasons. I trust we serve the Lord because we love the Lord. We want to please the Lord. But I tell you. I fear the mighty hand of God. And he says right here to this thief. He said, we're getting exactly what we deserve. He says, you should be fearing God. Now look at what he says. I'll, I'll tell you this. We should fear God. Based on the circumstances, based on our condition but the reason we don't fear God, completely fear God, is because of God's grace. Look what he says. He said, we are getting exactly what we deserve. We are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Let me just, let me just plug in a side note right here. Aren't you thankful that we don't get the just reward for our deeds? The reason that we don't is because of grace. He says right here, this thief says, we're getting what we deserve. We're getting the just reward for our deeds. 
But he says, this man, talking about Christ, hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. Wonder why he said that. Wonder why he thought that. Was it because he'd heard a wonderful message? Was it because he'd responded to a call? The reason that he cried forth and had a reverence for God is that God had touched his heart. And God had revealed his grace within his heart. God did it when he was yet a sinner and he changed him. And when God changes us, he changes us from the inside out. He does. He does a work on the heart and he changes us. This fellow said, I'm getting what I deserve. You're getting what you deserve. And then all of a sudden, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. He said, I don't deserve to be remembered. I'm not worthy to be remembered. Jesus said unto him, I love this. I, I, I love this. This is what helps me to believe that when we pass from this life, we immediately go into paradise with the Lord. He says, verily, I say unto thee that today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So we have the example of the thief on the cross who experienced God's amazing grace. The next one that we'll look at right here in Acts chapter 9. A great example of God's amazing grace. We see that God's grace is there for our salvation. We see that God's grace is there to deliver us, to protect us. And here we see that it's God's grace that changes us right here. In Acts chapter 9, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So that describes the condition of Saul. It said, Saul is an ungodly man, and he's spending his effort, he's spending his time, he's spending his energy, and he describes Saul right here. He says he's going out, and he's, uh, he's, he's, he's breathing out threatenings, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And it says that while he was on his way, that he desired letters of Damascus to go to the synagogues, that if he could find any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was a, a, a pretty rough character. It'd be, let me describe it this way. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like somebody coming in the back door of the church right here and arresting us for delivering the, the, the message of Jesus Christ and, and taking us to be uh, punished, maybe even to the point of death. And it says that that's the business that Saul was about. That's what he was doing. So he was going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. And it says, it comes down and it says, but as he journeyed while he was on the way doing the wrong thing, it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and it says, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Now, when now God does it in a variety of ways. When God speaks to us, sometimes it's profound, like the experience of the Apostle Paul. Sometimes he speaks to us in a still, small voice. But when God speaks to us and he reaches us, no matter where we are, the bottom line is it's effective 100% of the time. When God touches us by his grace and gives us spiritual life and quickens us, 
It's 100% effective. John chapter 6, verse 36, 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, that I should lose nothing. So no matter where we are, no matter what a state we're in in life, when God reaches us by his grace and touches our heart and gives us spiritual life, gives us a spiritual appetite and a spiritual desire to serve him, he does it by his grace. Not when we're so worthy or seeking after him. Here's the best example, not the only, but one of the best, that we are not seeking God when he seeks us. We're going away from God, doing everything we can against God. We don't desire God. In fact, if we know anything about God, we abhor God until God touches us with his spirit. So it says that suddenly as he journeyed, there came near Damascus and suddenly shined around him a light from heaven. By the way, When God quickens us with His Spirit and gives us spiritual life, you know, I believe it comes from heaven. I believe it does. And he says, Saul fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Lord, who art thou, Lord? Only way that he could even cry unto him and call him Lord is because God had touched him by His grace. He said, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Let me just toss this in right here. I think this is worthy of putting in right here. At this point, all that Paul knew is that something had happened in his life. At this point, all that Paul knew is that it was the Lord. He didn't even know his name. Let me ask you, do you think Paul was saved? I think Paul was just as saved before he knew the name of Jesus Christ as he was after. Because of what he had written in his heart. But then Christ revealed himself to him and he said, by the way, Paul, my name is Jesus. That, that, what, that didn't sum up his salvation. His salvation was sure when God touched his heart. But it was a great blessing for Paul to know who it was that did it. And then to be able to spend his life defending that one that changed his life. Then he says right here, Paul, uh, it says trembling and astonished. Did you know that that's usually that's usually how we respond when God does a work of grace in our heart? I've yet to find anybody that's come up and said, well, I'm so worthy and help, I can help the Lord out. And he really needs me. No, we need him. He doesn't need us. He says right here, trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go to the city and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. And then he went on down to say, you're going to suffer great things for me.
another example, we won't go into great detail on it, but in Romans chapter, chapter uh, 9, we see the example right here. In Romans chapter 9 of Jacob and Esau, it says, For children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And then the scripture reveals that Jacob I've loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. I remember the first time that I read that, I thought to myself in my mind when I read that, I thought, that doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound fair. Because I was thinking that everybody deserved what Jacob got. But when you look at it and we consider the picture, we all really deserve what Esau got. And that it's only by God's grace that he loved Jacob at all. He comes on down and I I want to make this point right here. That when you see God's grace, it also mirrors that God is sovereign. God is sovereign in how he disperses his grace. And God is sovereign in who he disperses his grace upon. And God is sovereign in how much grace he disperses upon our lives. He says, and he he says, just in case you think I'm not fair. Just in case you think I'm not right in my judgment. He says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Who are you to question me about what I do? Now, I'll tell you, a lot of things I did wrong. But only one time did I ask my dad why when he told me something to do. My dad told me something to do. He didn't have to give me a reason why he wanted me to do it. And God, our Heavenly Father, is much greater than our natural fathers. And when God does something, He doesn't have to consult with us about it. God is sovereign. God knows what's for our good and for His glory. And He says that I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. He goes on down to say, by the way, I'm the potter and you're the clay. And he reminds us. So as we see the grace of God, God's grace mirrors God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. And he's sovereign in how he disperses his grace. For the child of God, we have a promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Is there anything in your life you'd like to be delivered from? I mean, there's some places that you could probably go and if you had uh, a big enough check that you could deposit, they might promise to help you be delivered from something. Sometimes we go to the Lord and we ask the Lord to deliver us. And sometimes God doesn't at the time that we ask him to. A lot of times we want to tell the Lord what to do. But here's what the Lord tells us. 
The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was, he was a super blessed man and he said, I saw some things in glory that I don't have the words to utter. And he said, it's very likely that I'd be exalted in myself, above self, in pride. And he said, there's a thorn that I was given in the flesh. And he refers to it as a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And he says, for this thing, I besought the Lord three times. And he said, I asked the Lord to take this thorn from my side. And he said, I asked the Lord three times to give me to remove this thorn. Paul does not say what that thorn is. You may be looking at your own life and know what the thorn is in your life. Maybe you've been delivered from some thorns. Maybe you haven't. But if you haven't, there's a promise right here. He said, I prayed to the Lord that it would depart from me. And then he said, the Lord answered him and said, Paul, I'm not going to deliver this thorn from your life, but I am going to give you the grace to bear it. So God's grace is there to save us. God's grace is there because we don't deserve salvation. And we experience grace through what Jesus Christ did. We experience the unmerited favor of God because of what Jesus Christ did upon undeserving sinners. God sheds His grace upon us and we have salvation through His grace. But God also sustains us by His grace. Sometimes God delivers us by His grace. We don't deserve deliverance. We don't. Thank goodness we don't get what we deserve. That's grace in itself. But then he's promised that even if he doesn't deliver the thorn in our life, that he's promised that he'll give us the grace to bear it. That's encouraging. I mean, where else can you go and get promises like that, that God is going to hold you up, that you're going to be held up because of the grace of Almighty God? Now, we'll look at the song. And hopefully it will mean a lot to you. I remember when I first understood grace and that we're saved by grace and we're kept by grace. The meaning of this song came alive. Grace. Tis a charming sound. It's harmonious to the ear. Heaven with the echoes shall resound and all the saints shall hear. Grace first contrived the way to save rebellious man. And all the steps that grace displayed, which drew God's wondrous plan. Grace first inscribed my name. In God's eternal book. You see, God has a book with the names of his people. And he says that it's by grace that your name was inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. He says, grace first wrote my name in God's eternal book. Twas grace that gave me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. The next one. 
Grace led my roving feet to tread the heavenly road and new supplies each hour I meet while pressing on to God. Grace taught my soul to pray and made mine eyes o'erflow. Was grace that kept me to this day and will not let me go. Grace, all the works shall crown through everlasting days. It, grace itself, lays in heaven the utmost stone and well deserves the praise. This little church, we've gone through the articles of faith. This little church has a wonderful group of folks. Little church has some wonderful hymns to sing. Has some sweet, sweet periods of fellowship that we enjoy. Has a wonderful family to worship together. But the main thing that binds our heart together is the grace of Almighty God. If we didn't have that, all the other wouldn't matter. God's amazing grace. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.